0: They say it's one-third social worker, one-third investigator, one-third photographer.
1: I'm Damian Bulwa. Today on Fifth and Mission, photographing fires. Since the 2017 wildfires that tore through wine country, Chronicle photographer Gabrielle Lurie has been covering not only the flames, but the aftermath as victims try to put their lives back together. She joins us today, and we'll ask her about what she's seen, how she does her job, and about the time she had to run from flames. Before we recorded this podcast, she was shooting pictures of a unique program for transgender homeless youth. Today we'll be talking about her journeys through the state as she documents the aftermath of the last two years of devastating wildfires. Gabrielle Lurie, Gabrielle, we never see you. Uh, You're never (laughs) here.
0: (laughs) That is true. I'm a, I'm a ghost. <laughs> no, I'm often out of the office. Yes,
1: yes, we've noticed. You know, it's been the rainy season now. We obviously had these terrible fire seasons, but you are still out there traveling from town to town. Why are you still so active, sort of going around the state and covering wildfires?
0: Yeah, so I've been up and back to paradise countless times. And, um, you know, what we like to do at The Chronicle is continue our coverage way beyond, you know, just the flames. It's uh, the first few days Days is all about the destruction. And after that, there are still stories that um, continue. And there are rippling effects throughout all of these small cities surrounding Paradise, uh, whether it be like a housing shortage or simply just that people are still in the hospital. Their families are worried. People have lost their jobs. So there's there's a lot to continue covering,
1: and people tend to forget that there there's burn victims that are still deep into treatment. Um, there's people that are still in shelters.
0: Yeah, there are still people in the hospital as we speak. So, um, and and there are families going every single day, and and so it's 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 more than just a house that's been lost. It's it's a community. Um, it's a wider community, and it, it spreads throughout the West Coast.
1: So I'm, I'm obviously uh, more of a print person, and uh, what you do is, is, is sort of amazing to me. And I, I just um, first wanted to ask you, you know, how do you document these fires? This is one of the most historic uh, things we've covered at the Chronicle uh, that I can remember. How do you document them? How do you document them, you know, as they go on for two years?
0: It first starts with a phone call. From one of our editors, hey, it looks like there's a fire going. Can you hit the road now? And um, you know, I I have things that are prepared. So I have food that's prepared, water that's prepared. I have my PPE equipment. Um,
1: you have a go is, bag.
0: Yeah, essentially, and um, I sort of get all the necessary things. I, I assume that I may need to sleep in my car. I I assume that I'm I may be gone for days and so I just book it and head out to wherever I'm going and um I connect with other photographers I connect with my editors to find out where the fire is and um I try to get there as quickly as possible and I stay try to stay safe by sticking near firefighters and watching their movements um And just sort of connecting with other people that I know. I I check Twitter, um, I check the weather, and mostly connect with my colleagues.
1: And in in those first hours, what is it that you're really trying to capture um, when the fire is first spreading?
0: Yeah, the first few hours is really about where is the fire, where is it going, how fast is it moving. And we want to get flames. We want to get, you know, is there an iconic building that might be burning you know, uh, these small towns are historic and there's a lot of history that's been lost. A lot of historic buildings have, have burned down. And so we want to catch that as quickly as we can. Um, often I'll coordinate with another photographer and say, okay, you're going here. I'm going here. And let's check in with mm. each other. Yeah.
1: So. Yeah. And so you were, um, you were at the Santa Rosa fires and the Wine Country fires, uh, correct, in 2017?
0: Yeah. In the Santa Rosa fires, in fact... I got there on the on the early side. It was early. It was an early morning fire, and I got there, and um, there were no fire trucks yet. There was no one there. There was just a crossing guard that said, uh, "Well, okay, go ahead, ma'am, but you're going at your own risk." And so that's that's pretty scary. I mean, I'm not a huge adrenaline junkie, so I said, "Okay," and you just kind of slowly go until you see. You, I mean, you see a plume of smoke as you as you're getting close. And then you, you look for the fire and you just, you keep your car on and it's in the opposite direction. You always have to keep your car on because it needs oxygen to start. And um, and then you you just sort of are always looking behind your back and listening and being very aware. So I was alone for quite a, quite a while until I saw another photographer and I thought, okay, I'm in the right place and I'm not going to get consumed by this fire. But uh, you just never know because they move so quickly.
1: Yeah. And, you know, before these fires, before the, the ones in the wine country, you know, a big fire was in, in California was maybe if if 50 or 100 homes were lost. And now we've seen these fires where thousands and thousands of homes and whole neighborhoods were lost. What was it like being there on that first day? Uh, and what did you see? And, and sort of then what does your job become as you're seeing all the wreckage?
0: Yeah, so Santa Rosa and Paradise were were very different in terms of what I saw. Santa Rosa was very big areas that were affected, but they were um, spread out. So you could tell, okay, this area got hit really hard. Like Coffee Park, which is a neighborhood there, was hit very hard, and almost everything was decimated. Whereas Paradise, it was just the entire town. It wasn't, you know, patches here or there. It was almost the entire town. And so being there by yourself and driving around before the news has really quite made it is so odd because it's almost like you're, it's almost like you're on Mars and there's no bugs. There's no animals. There's just smoke billowing up around you and there's, and there's no more houses. All you see is, you know, the skeleton of a car essentially. And, um, so it's 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 very strange to kind of be wandering and it's also very um you know we have this privilege that we get to be there and bear witness to this and bring it back for people but at the same time how do you photograph 12,000 houses that have been burned down overnight you know in in the matter of hours it's it's uh it's a huge responsibility and how do you slowly <laughs> You know, we get in there and we, um, one of our first jobs actually is to take 30 seconds of video and get that out. Mm -hmm. So I'm constantly taking little video clips with my phone because those are also really important. And then, you know, you're, you're always on the move. You're, you're like, okay, I see someone rescuing a horse. I'm going to go photograph that. You know, I see someone, um, looking for remains. I'm going to go shoot that. And you, and it's a lot about your gut. You just say, "Okay, I've I've been here for a little bit now. I'm going to go there," and you can't cover it all. It's just a slice of what it's like there. Um,
1: yeah, I imagine um, when the human beings are involved, when someone's at at their home and you're seeing something, um, that there must be an immediate sensitivity to your job. Um, you know, sometimes people um, are in the midst of like the most painful moment perhaps in their life how do you how do you go about that and how do you kind of weigh that with your your need to sort of try to capture the shot
0: yeah I think that's one of the hardest things to do as a photographer is to enter into someone's pain and um, you know be compassionate in a moment that is so private and so painful Um, I think what I feel fortunate for is that I think people feel honored in some ways to be able to share that pain and um, be able to t- talk about what they're feeling. Um, and so, a lot of the times, people welcome me, in, you know, I say who I am and what I'm doing. And like I said, these stories are beyond the flames. The flames are day one, but then it's all about the people and what's happened to these people. And some of them have lost, you know, beautiful art from amazing artists or, you know. Uh,
1: or from like, their children.
0: Yeah, or, or just, you know, their wedding photos, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, these people have lost it all. And so uh, just being there, you know, I've had people come up to me and say, thank you for being here. This helped me so much. I felt like I had a friend with me. Or I felt like I had a family member with me. And so that makes me – that reminds me the next time to say, okay, get up the courage to go ask them even though, even though they're in the worst moment of their life. And also knowing when someone is, is you know, really not feeling it is okay too. Hmm. Dealing with that rejection is, is okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, before we move on from the sort of immediate aftermath of the fire, I know this because I remember it, that in the campfire – Um, You had a a bit of a dangerous moment, Um, a close call with fire. What happened there?
0: Yeah, so I went up uh, with a colleague because I I like to go into fires with someone else. I I prefer not to go by myself um, because I've only been doing this a few years, and it seems clear that anything can happen at this point. Um, So I went with, with a friend, and he said, hey, let's go down this road. It looks like there's airplanes that are dipping into this small." pond and I said okay yeah sure let's go and I start walking down with him and I turn around and I see oh my gosh the fire is about to consume the road <laughs> and our exit and I said Steven Steven let's go we got to go and he said one more shot one more shot <laughs> oh, and he was like oh my gosh <laughs> so finally he gets his shot and we're running 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 and the fire is about to cut off the road and um I had an ember that flew into my shirt and and burned my shoulder um so that was my my injury of the fire So you guys
1: were literally running
0: we were running for our lives yeah i mean there was nearby water that i think i suppose we could have ducked into but i that would not have been wise so um yeah it was definitely the scary one of the scariest moments um you have to be really careful i at least i felt like i had good intuition and i said we got to get out of here
1: I'm talking to Chronicle photographer Gabrielle Lurie about documenting California's wildfires. After a short break, we'll talk about some of her most dramatic photos. If you want to see the pictures we're talking about, search Twitter or Instagram on the hashtag CronFire. That's C-H-R-O-N fire. We'll be right back. Welcome back. If you'd like to see the photographs that Gabrielle, Lurie, and I are going to be talking about in this segment, we've posted them on Twitter and Instagram with the hashtag CronFire. That's C-H-R-O-N fire. I wanted to show you a a photo. I had uh, um, printed out a few of your uh, greatest hits here. And um, this first one is from the campfire. And there's three cars coming down a road. And there's a couple of... um, of workers that are sort of ushering them along, and in the background, it just looks like a complete wall of flames. Um, I can't tell if whether they're that's a ridge, but um, but so you, this is you capturing this, and it just looks so frightening. And I just wondered if you could walk us through, you know, a scene like that. Um, you know, what are you seeing, and um, and what are these people feeling as they're um, as the fire is bearing down on them.
0: I think these people must have been comp- so scared for their lives. I mean, they're, they're driving through flames on either side of them. And I think as soon as they're reaching me, they realize that they're out. Um, in that exact moment, they're realizing, wow, I think I've gotten beyond this fire. But the fire is roaring towards me and there are sheriffs kind of telling people, come on, let's go, go, go. Um, and there are just endless cars coming through, um, you know, on the one hand, a fire like this is not moving as fast as it may seem. On the other hand, the embers fly and I didn't know if it, if an ember could land behind me and then I would be stuck myself because this was one road in and one road out. So you don't have an escape route. Um, so you have to be really careful, um, yeah in this particular image, I was really trying to capture the urgency of, "Hey, this fire is coming. Get out now," and you can see that this car is kind of crossing over the lane, and just a, just chaotic. It was chaos.: um,
1: This might sound like a strange question, but why, in an image like this, why does it seem to capture it in a way that that really makes us feel how um, dangerous this this wildfire? threat has become why is why does a still image tend to capture um so much I mean it's just you know it's just one moment of time
0: yeah I think it really says escape I think it's sort of everyone's worst nightmare is to drive through a fire and you know get out on the other end and so I think to me it just says you know, escape and narrow, that they've narrowly made it. And who might be behind there? You know, who might be still stuck in the flames? Because there were there were people mm. that got stuck.
1: And when you um, when do you know that you captured a good shot? There um, is it in the moment, or is it in um, looking later? Is it the editor calling? Uh,
0: That's a really good question. Um, sometimes you know right away, and. Um, an image like this, I knew that I had it. I was looking for it and um, you know, at first at first when I first got there, it was just flames. There were no sheriffs. And then the sheriffs came and then the people started fleeing. And so I waited for a few elements to line up and I waited for that sense of urgency. Mm. And, and I knew I had it in, in this instance. There are other instances where you have smoke coming at your eyes. You can barely breathe. You can barely see. Everything is is yellow, and you're just sort of aiming at anything, <laughs> and it's a crapshoot. And so you you run back to your car, which is hopefully still on. <laughs> you get your computer out, and you're sorting through hundreds of images, and sometimes things surprise you. So you just you don't always know, but there are times that you do know. Wow.
1: I want to um just show you a couple more that i had um that I had found. These are uh, a little bit related, and it's kind of what we were talking about with the aftermath and people going through the ruins um of homes and the rescuers looking for bodies. But in one, two women just have their heads buried uh into each other at a um at a ruined site um, after the the campfire, I believe
0: yeah, so this is from the campfire. It's two women, Karen and Suzanne. Um, who are hugging. It's a mother and daughter. And I actually met them at the Walmart parking lot, which is where a lot of the evacuees were staying. In Chico? Yep, in Chico for the first week or so um, because everything was so overcrowded. um, And they set up tents there. And I I met Suzanne, and I stayed in touch with her. And I said... You know, let me know when you go when you're able to go back to your house. And so they went in the pouring rain and it was very emotional Mm. for both of them. So a lot of what I do is keeping track of people and keeping up with people and keeping the connections. Because, you know, if you meet someone, if you in a town of 30,000 people, when you meet, you know, a couple hundred, they're going to be important people. Um, so I try to keep up with them and follow full circle.
1: Sure. In the other shot, um, you have four uh, people from the, um, I believe, the uh, Butte County Sheriff's Department.
0: Yeah, some of them were Butte County and some of them were Yuba.
1: And they're wearing um, they're wearing masks, ventilators, and they're walking out of a of, of a ruined um, home site with a blue tarp that they're all. Caring. And it's such a devastating shot. But I, I wondered, you know, as a photographer, what that shot um, means to you.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have to say, so this photo is of of uh, sheriffs and special investigators taking out a body. Um, and they did that every day for several weeks um, until it was about 86, I believe, 86 bodies found. Um, they worked tirelessly. And um, it was a special situation. The people of Paradise and in that neighborhood, or in that in that area, surrounding area, were very open to the media, and they wanted their story to be told, which is rare because mm. usually these are considered crime scenes that are backed off for blocks and blocks. Um, but they were open, and we we spoke to you know the head investigator and we said we'd like to follow you as you do this and they allowed us to so we we would follow a hearse and throughout paradise and we knew wherever the hearse stopped Mm. there would be people you know investigating and so uh they would spend hours collecting fragments or bodies and they would bring it to a hearse and and there would be prayers i mean they they really uh they really took good care of these people that suffered. But, yeah, I mean, these these photos are hard to make. You have to be in a zone. You have to – your camera shields you from some of the emotion um, because you're very fixated on being able to tell this story properly and not let your, you know, tears cover your camera.
1: Yeah, I mean, as they're carrying this bag, they um... – you know they're in their uniforms so there's a certain sense of formality but also they just um with the masks they look they look devastated or they look so, you know like they are carrying this the weight of the whole you know the whole disaster
0: yeah i mean i think it's grueling when you're living in that community to have to go day in and day out collecting bodies of people some of whom i'm sure they knew or you know their relatives knew so um, I really admired them for, for what they did, but I, I felt very privileged in this situation that we were able to be there. Um, and, you know, on the ground, I was texting these guys and I was calling them and they were receptive. And so a lot of what journalism is, is not just stumbling upon something. You know, they say, they say it's one third social worker, one third investigator, one third photographer. Mm. And I think that's really true. So it's, it's bringing all these pieces together.
1: What is, uh, what is so important about covering the aftermath? Um, you've been going to shelters, you've been following individual people through their journey through hospitals and, and through finding housing, things like that. Um, why is that important and how do you capture it?
0: Well, that's a big question, Damien. (laughs) Um. (laughs) You know, um, in Santa Rosa, I thought that was I was, I thought that fire was the biggest fire I would ever cover, and I thought, wow, I witnessed history here, and I I felt really proud that I was able to cover the Santa Rosa fire. It was just so monumental, and um, I could have never expected that a year later there would be a fire that was. At, doubly as bad these fires are, are so big and they affect so many people and i think what we try to do is take the slices of life that we of the people that we meet and we try to tell their story um you know from the beginning and until now so you know we met with a woman who had a c-section in the middle of the fire and we continue to follow her because her life doesn't end doesn't end then it continues Mm -hmm. and she's she's continuing to struggle and so um you know we try to to kind of find all different facets of life and um you know we even found a couple that their house burned down in santa rosa and then their house burned down again when they moved to paradise you know so what does that mean for them and do they rebuild so we focus on the rebuilding. We focus on people who are, um, you know, there's a couple who has a reality TV show in paradise, and they're now going to be rebuilding with fire-resistant mm. materials. So, um, you know, we want to we talk about the future of paradise. We want to talk about um, the future of specific people that were affected. So it's really hard, but we, what we do is we, we spend a lot of time. We spend a lot of time there. And, um, a lot of, a lot of it is being on the ground and, and talking and, and listening and, um, and yeah, we're still, we're still working hard at it now.
1: Wow. Yeah. And I know you guys are working on some big stories. I, I, I wanted to ask you about one in particular that, uh, that you and reporter Lizzie Johnson have been working on and that's on the, the shepherds. And this is, this is a family in the, in the original fires in the 2017 fires in Mendocino County, right? And um, I know you guys have taken a lot of time to to sort of follow their journey, but can you tell us a little bit about the the shepherds?
0: Yeah, the shepherds um, are an incredible couple who were in the Redwood Valley fire, which was the same day as the Santa Rosa fires. Um, It was not the same ignition, but it was the same day. And um, they, they live in Redwood Valley, and um, they their house was really nestled up into this mountain. And as soon as they found out that there was a fire, they got in their cars, tried to escape, and the fire just came up towards them. And they all got out of their cars and ran for their lives. Um, and the mother, Sarah, and her daughter, Cressa, passed out. Um, and her son, Kai, unfortunately... You know, fell I believe, and then the fire engulfed him. And the father John ran by on foot. He ran down the mountain, and he made it out. Um, So they ended up they ended up getting the mother Sarah and Cressa from the spot where they had passed out, which was not too far from their house. They were both sent to the hospital, and unfortunately, Cressa passed away from from her burns. And Sarah and John were the survivors. So um, they were both covered in about 60% of their body was covered in burns. And their recovery is still ongoing two years later. Um, requires a lot of compression garments and creams and stretching and physical therapy. And, um, you know, this affects their whole family, their, their bigger family, their their parents, you know. and And I think... It's, it's not just losing your kids. You lose your whole house. You lose all your memories. And Cressa was an artist, so they lost almost all of her artwork. You know, you lose, uh, for, for other people who lose their children, you know, they, they maybe have clothing or, or something that they can find comfort in. And Sarah and John just have each other. Um, but it's pretty amazing to see the two of them together. They're very strong, and um, they lean on each other to get by. And in fact, they, they were going to sell their property and, um, they changed their mind. They decided that they wanted to keep it to honor their children and they go hiking there. And, um, they spend a lot of time there just kind of meditating. So, uh, yeah, but these fires, these fires are intense.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, wow. These are amazing stories that you're covering. Um, thank you so much. Thank you for spending so much time Outside the office. Um, we'd love to see you more, but we understand <laughs> what you're doing, and I really appreciate you joining us today. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much, Damien.
1: Thanks so much to Gabrielle Lurie, to Libby Coleman for producing this episode, and thanks to you for listening.
0: Fifth and Mission is part of the San Francisco Chronicle podcast
1: network. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts.
0: And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing.
1: You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle.
0: There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.